KCF Technologies presents Industrial Transformation, Stories of Failure and Success from the Front Lines of American Manufacturing. Welcome to the Industrial Transformation Podcast. We will be discussing stories of failure and success from the front lines of American manufacturing. I'm Marty Wolf, and with me today is the host of the Industrial Transformation Podcast, Jeremy Frank. Jeremy is the CEO of KCF Technologies. Hello again, Jeremy. How are you today? Hello, Marty. Good morning. Great to talk with you again. Yeah, we have a couple of announcements we'll get to in, in a minute, but let, let's start this way, Jeremy. Uh, our our professional our professional relationship started a, probably a couple months ago or maybe longer. I'm not sure. We're having so much fun. It started when you came on my uh, business builder show because I was fascinated by the work that you're doing, you know, relating to uh, American manufacturing, the sensors that you are using and, and, and your study uh, of American manufacturing and actually worldwide manufacturing. I wanted to tell you that story on the business builder show. And I guess that's led to some other new things, huh, Jeremy? Definitely. Well, what it what it led to is us realizing that we've just got some pretty interesting stories that we can that we can get out there in front of people that I think are kind of surprising but very useful in terms of how to uh, improve industry and manufacturing and transform into into kind of the future state. So yeah, I really appreciate having uh, to get having gotten to know you as part of your show, and then now we've got this thing off and running. Yeah, and uh, thank you so much. You're part of the uh, Business Builders Media platform or network um, that we are adding new people uh, to that. And and what uh, Business Builders Media is all about is giving entrepreneurs and and business leaders the tools they need to have their voices heard. Because we learned over the years, Jeremy, there's so many uh, business leaders and CEOs who want to do what you are doing, but kind of needed some guidance. So thank you for being part of that platform. We really, we really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to. And thanks for getting me off the ground doing this, Marty. I appreciate uh, the effort. And yeah, there are just so many stories to be told, but ours, you know, this story of industrial transformation, what, what I'm quickly realizing is there, there are just people coming out of the woodwork with their stories that are willing and, and, uh, and interested to share because it's just really important, critical stuff for, for people to know about, particularly people that are in the industrial landscape. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to make sure we're clear with uh, with your audience is that uh, the next uh, the next podcast, I won't be saying I'm with uh, Jeremy Frank. I guess you'll be flying solo starting soon, correct? That's right. Yep, we're off and running. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the appreciate the uh, the starter, and that yeah, we're going to take it from here. That's great. So, well, kind of speaking of taking it from here, why don't you take it from here? I guess you have a guest and uh, let's let's start talking. Will do. So so our guest this morning is Adam Dalo and Adam is is uh, actually with KCF now, but has spent uh, quite a few uh, roles as a after a mechanical engineering degree from Penn State has spent a good bit of time working in the power generation industry and specifically in, in some uh, nuclear uh, generating facilities. In addition to that, he spent um, some time, which is particularly interesting to me in working in a family business in the, in the food industry. So let me just say, welcome, Adam. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, as am I, I I'm really just interested. I want to dive right in because 
you know, you've been doing some really fascinating things with, with our company, but you also have this, this uh, extremely relevant background in the context of the, of the first two interviews we've had, uh, you know, from, from the nuclear industry specifically. I want to just dive right in and talk about sort of the, the problem that's out there. The problem that you know we're addressing and, and you're aware of, and maybe I'd start with just I don't know safety or, or machine failures. Can you just give me tell tell our listeners something about what you've seen in your career in industry in in the power gen industry, maybe specifically things that affect machine failures and safety? What what's going on out there? Sure, absolutely. So safety is a is a great place to start with any industry, but particularly for the nuclear industry, you know, safety is such a key uh, parameter. You know, they really live that culture of safety as being the number one priority. You know, it's something that's just drilled into you as a, as a nuclear power plant worker. Uh, you know, safety is something that's discussed every single day. You know, even to this day, it's, uh, it's funny, every time I walk up and down a set of stairs, I always grab the handrail because it's drilled into you, even down to that level of walking up and down the stairs, maintaining those points of contact and grabbing the handrails. And so safety is really just something that's a, a huge focus in the industry. And so I'll, I'll just give a little bit of background on what I did in the industry. So like you mentioned, my degree is in mechanical engineering and I worked for a little over five years at a nuclear power plant in the design engineering department. And so I did mechanical system design. Uh, anytime something needed to be changed in the plant, I was doing you know, all the paperwork and the design work and the justification, which is quite a big process in the nuclear industry, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, so I have you know, quite a bit of experience working in the industry and just some things that, that I've seen uh, in working in that industry related to safety. You know, there's, it's like anything else, any other industry, there's large rotating equipment, right? So there's, you know, turbine generators and big pumps, and big fans. And so that's always, you know, there's always an inherent danger with any, you know, manufacturing or industrial setting. And one story in particular that I could share with you uh, the plant that I worked at, we had an issue with our turbine. Our turbine blades were, were actually cracking. So they were, you know, every time we shut down to do an outage, they would inspect the turbine blades and they were finding these little, you know, micro fractures in the blades. And, and that's presenting a, a really big issue, both in terms of generation, but also in safety. You know, there's, there's stories out there, these large turbines, you know, picture, uh, a big uh, rot rotor with blades that are you know the size of a person and it's the length of you know like half a football field and so this is a really big piece of equipment and when those blades fail uh, oftentimes it's it's not good so there's actually been stories out there of of blades you know being thrown from the turbine and they they wind up in the parking lot and you know that could have happened in any power generation anything with large rotating equipment it's not unique to nuclear, uh, but also there have been specific events in the nuclear industry where a blade gets thrown and it, it damages a bunch of equipment. And, you know, you're just lucky if, if no one is hurt by that. And so in our case in particular, you know, we actually used 
uh, vibration monitoring technology. We outfitted our turbine with vibration monitoring system, and we used that in order to identify when a crack would start and how it would progress over time so that we could safely plan to shut down and swap out those blades. And ultimately, we were able to do some design work, you know, almost like an optimization project like we like to do here at KCF. We took all that data and we did some redesigns to the tournament to prevent that cracking from occurring to begin with. So, you know, that's just a, a one case scenario where uh, using technology can help create a safer work environment. Uh, but of course, there's also just simpler, uh, more simple uh, aspects of it, you know, using like a vibration, a wireless vibration monitoring sensor, or asset health sensors, you know, you can eliminate a worker's need to go out and take regular, you know, monthly rounds. You know, some of our customers in the nuclear industry have used these sensors to uh, eliminate the need to build scaffolding up on these huge pump and motor systems, like a vertical, a vertical motor where you need to build a scaffold to get up to the bearings and and they've eliminated the need for to someone to go up and work at heights in order to take those readings. And so just the, the cost of building that scaffold and the risk of going up there and doing that work is totally eliminated. And, and now you have continuous data. So there's a lot of great examples out there for increasing safety. Yeah. So there's so many aspects to that, Adam. It's fascinating. I mean, you, geez, you picture, uh, of machine failure, you know, a blade is just one example, but a blade the size of a person, like enough energy, you know, I'm just picturing as an engineer also how much energy must be in that piece of, of metal to, to go through everything between that and the parking lot. It's just, it's, I think it's hard for, you know, non-engineers or even for engineers to, to imagine. And, and yet modern life is not possible without these kinds of machines. So it's not like you can increase safety by not operating these machines. You just have to find ways to do these things safely. So I would ask, you know, so you've done these things, you know, pr long prior to getting involved with our company, what are you seeing now? Like what is, what is possible kind of what, it, what are some of the, I mean, I know you've been all over the country, you've been in all kinds of different factories. What are some of the things that you've seen that people would, would find fascinating about how you can actually address these issues? Sure. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I've been in my time working with KCF, I've kind of been all over the country and I've visited many different uh, industries and, and many different uh, facilities and primarily in the, the timber industry, I've done a lot of work with our company. So that's you know, lumber and plywood sites, paper manufacturing sites, and they're a lot different than working in a nuclear plant, but there's a lot of similarities as well. And one of the interesting things about those industries is that they've really, you know, we've had some customers that have really embraced this IoT technology and they are installing these asset health monitoring systems across their entire plant. And so, you know, you would think that you, obviously we start with the most critical equipment, but they've seen so much value in doing that, that we've expanded that to their entire facility. And, you know, a safety incident can occur on a piece of equipment that may not, you may not think it's critical to the operation, but it's all, it is critical to safety and it has downstream effects. So I've really seen some customers in, in various different industries just embrace this and apply it across their entire facility, which is pretty cool to see. 
Yeah, it's really fun. It's just been fun to, to watch you work and, and grow uh, into the role that you're in. Because, you, you know, we study this, or it has been studied, and we've read the studies. The dramatic failure is the one that it, that's the exciting story. But so often, it's slips and trips and falls that, that cause people to get hurt. And it might be just a, a pump leaking oil or water onto a floor and someone slips on it while they're hurrying to do maintenance on a, on a failed piece of equipment. I, you know, so it's just, it's just the pervasive coverage, I think is really what I've, what I've seen you and and your team pull off. What, take me back for a minute, if, if we can to the, to PowerGen and the nuclear uh, plants specifically, you know, we, we talked with, with Westinghouse and with, with Amarin, uh, with, with Jason and Lauren about, how this stuff can impact the way they operate. And, and I know a big part of any plant, but it's, you know, especially a nuclear plant is outage planning and, and being able to get ahead of, you know, what's coming with your machinery. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, putting this stuff all together? Like if you could go back in time and have access to what you now know is you're doing, how would it affect your ability to do condition-based maintenance and get over some of the hurdles? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so outage work and outage planning is is just a huge portion of the business in power generation and nuclear. And so, in order to really have an efficient and effective outage, you know, each each unit you know shuts down on a continuous cycle. So whether it's eighteen months or it's twelve months, there's a there's a cycle in which each one of these units shuts down for refuel and for maintenance. And in the past, you know, really the, the standard of the industry was to perform time-based maintenance, especially on critical components in the plant. So, you know, whether it's every cycle or every other cycle, you need to plan to do maintenance on these pieces of equipment. And like I said, it's primarily been time-based, but as we move forward and the industry continues to evolve and adopt best practices from other industries, they're really starting to move towards more condition-based maintenance and utilizing IoT technology to have real-time asset health data will only help to be able to better plan and have the right parts on hand. You know if you need to replace this bearing, you know if you need to swap out this motor ahead of time and you can get those parts and you don't need to keep a huge inventory of all these things. You can order them when you need them. Uh, and you work on the right equipment at the right time. And you also know what equipment you don't need to work on at that time, because there's a lot of cost and time associated with working on equipment just on a time-based interval, when really you know, that asset might be perfectly healthy. And so just to have that information going into an outage is just huge, and it really helps to, to make it more efficient and uh, get back to operating and generating electricity a lot faster. Is there any way, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot, but if you were to estimate how much of that maintenance is not necessary, you know, because so much of that drives the, how many workers have to be there to, to be taking care of the machinery. But if you're doing things that aren't necessary, uh, you, you actually might make the equipment less healthy but you're also, you know, it's kind of the classic, if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing. How, like, what do you think? Can you, can you share for our listeners what you think is typical? Sure. Yeah, I've, I've heard some, some pretty large estimates in terms of time percentages spent uh, for a maintenance department. You know, even up to like 80% of a maintenance department's time 
is working on just time-based PM intervals. And so it's really a large chunk of their time could be doing work that maybe doesn't necessarily need to be done you know, at that time. And so having the information to know when you need to work on things, because the goal is not to eliminate work. The goal is really just to work on the right things and at the right times and with the right people. So, so yeah, I'd say there's a large percentage of time being spent on time-based maintenance. Yeah, I, I love that. I might even ask you to elaborate on that a bit more because it, you know, you're in the same kind of game I am now where we're kind of going out trying to solve problems, leveraging technology, but also getting hand in hand doing it. Oftentimes people push back at first and say, wait a minute, this will take my job. But once, once you realize that your current job is actually, you know, 80 or even 90% of your time is spent chasing problems that are the wrong thing. When, when you flip the script and you're using almost all of your time to do productive things and your, and your plant is operating better. I mean, it's a positive thing. Like what have you've seen this? I mean, you've seen this on the front lines. Can you give a story or two of, you know, working with people and how you actually see them flip that script? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. That's always a concern. You know, when we come into a facility and you know, we're, we're going to be installing all these sensors and these asset health monitoring systems, you know, there's always a little bit of concern for, from the people who are, you know, the vibe techs and the reliability engineers who are, you know, they're, they're going about their daily job, taking routes and using these manual processes. And it always creates a little bit of concern. You know, are they coming to, am I being replaced with a, a sensor? Right. And what I've seen actually take place is it really just helps to elevate those workers into, you know, they're not spending their time walking around, taking manual readings and working on just time based intervals. They're working much more efficient and elevating their knowledge base and performing their tasks uh, in a new way, in a more exciting way. And it really has helped to elevate uh, individuals within these companies into higher roles, you know, higher paying roles, more interesting roles. And so we're really just helping to elevate those workers rather than replace them. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's something that, you know, in, in the IIoT and Industry 4.0, being the buzz that it is, people focus, I mean, not, not us, but so many people in the technology world focus on the technology. When you, when you really do it right, it's just not the, it's not the way it works, is it? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's really just a, a tool to elevate people uh, and you know, nothing is going to take place on its own. You know, we work towards automation, but people are still just a huge piece of that puzzle. Yeah, I love it. You know, I'm going, I'm going back to something you said a little bit earlier, and I'd like to hear you describe it. So you're talking about some of these you know, inaccessible areas, you know, climbing up scaffolding, ladders. and I mean, these are places where unless someone's a daredevil, nobody wants to go, right? Nobody wants to spend their, their workday climbing, uh, you know, scaffolding ladders way up high to reach and, and get access to these machines. What, what, uh, and, and you know, there's, there, there are just machines in high places, but then there's also machines that are fundamentally working at heights like cranes. Um, can you, can you describe that in a little bit more detail? Like what, what does someone have to do in order to, to do a, like a preventive maintenance measure or a check that, that's way up high that can be in a kind of a dangerous, challenging situation. And then how does that compare if you're able to leverage technology to help you do your job more effectively? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In every industry, there are locations that you, you just don't want to spend a lot of time. So whether that's working at heights and needing to utilize fall protection or scaffolding, or it's working in a lockout tagout area where you need to control you know, energy sources and, and lock out a piece of equipment from you know, pressure and uh, process fluid and electricity, you know, that presents a risk every time you're working on that equipment. And in order to ensure that you're doing that work safely, there's just a lot of processes that you need to go through um, and a lot of checks and balances, so specifically in the nuclear industry. You know, when you have a work order that requires working at heights, using fall protection, lockout, tagout, confined space is another one. Uh, it requires more people, more time, more paperwork, and essentially that's more cost. And so if you can replace all that potentially dangerous work with a sensor that's just going to provide you data that you can look at, you know, on your computer in the office or even, you know, at home, there's a lot of people working from home right now and you could, you could see what's going on with that equipment without having to put yourself at risk. I mean, that's, that's a huge benefit. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty amazing dynamic. I mean, this whole COVID crisis, we've been talking about that. And in fact, that's, that's part of why we started this interview series off in the power gen industry, because I just, I consider it to be the most essential of the many essential industries that support our lives. Can, can you share a story? Have you actually seen this? You know, have you been, Anytime recently, actually, I mean, maybe not, you don't have to name the, the customer or the, or the factory, but where you've got people working from home and they're actually getting insights into the critical machine machines that they care for in a way that they wouldn't normally be, or in, without the technology, they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, absolutely. With a lot of our customers, we've been in very close communication with them throughout this whole, you know, COVID crisis and and really trying to help them and just, you know, see what they need. And, and the really interesting thing, a lot of them like us, you know, I'm working from home. A lot of people within our company are working from home. Well, so are they. And it's even less of a, a normal thing for them. I'm used to being on the road and, and working from all over the country. These people are used to being in their facility every single day. And when they're told that they need to do their job from home, you know, that obviously creates a lot of challenges because they can't just walk out to a piece of equipment and, you know, feel it, touch it, smell it, see what's going on. And essentially they're able to do that just by you know, logging into their smart diagnostics account and, and they can get a sense of what's going on with their equipment from the comfort of their own home. And so they've really embraced that. And I think it's really helped uh, just continue to operate safely and efficiently and create all the products that we need we still need power. We still need all these products that are coming out. So it's really helped facilitate that. Yeah. You know, that also makes me think about something that we, I mean, we think about a lot and all industrial corporations think about the aging workforce challenges. You know, I just, I, I really first started hearing of this five to 10 years ago, and now it's, it's just upon us that a lot of the, the real gurus of industrial manufacturing and utilities are nearing or at retirement age. And, you know, it's just wild, just as we talk, you think about the, this whole COVID crisis, those are the same people that are the most vulnerable and therefore would, would I would assume, would want to work remotely if at all possible. And the organizations would want that. 
But then on top of that, you take these inaccessible areas where you've got to do lockout, tag out, and you've got to climb up to a height. I mean, all those things are just creating real challenges for those workers to maintain continuity. Yet you, you can't operate without these machines and the you know, those blades on the turbines are still going to be vulnerable to failure as is the pumps and the fans. So what do you do? How do we, how do you, what have you seen that, that really addresses those aging workforce issues and knowledge transfer? I mean, you're a relatively young engineer still relative to me anyway, and certainly relative to a lot of the real gurus. Do do you see positive change in terms of, in terms of addressing the workforce issues? And if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely an issue in all industries. You know, nuclear, it was a big issue, uh, just having a lot of people close to retirement age. And, you know, there was there's a big gap. So we had, a you know, around when I graduated college, we had a lot of young engineers coming in. But we also just had a whole, a whole lot of engineers and maintenance and operations folks who were close to retirement. And so knowledge transfer becomes a big concern. And and I think utilizing these new technologies really, it, do, it helps to facilitate that knowledge transfer because you're getting insights into this equipment that, you know, these, uh, you know, uh, seasoned veterans, they, they have the most inside knowledge of how this equipment works. But it's a lot of times it's just, it's in their head, right? And so they, they can walk up to a pump and they just, oh, that pump's acting funny today. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know, it sounds like this or it smells like this or I could just feel it. And it's really hard to transfer that knowledge to a new engineer because you just don't have those years of experience. Uh, but now when you put actual data out in front of you and the seasoned veteran can look at that data with a new engineer and they could describe, well, oh, okay, well, this elevation in the trend, you know, when we were out there and we heard this, this is what that's corresponding to. And so I really just think that it just helps to facilitate that knowledge transfer and just make the workforce more efficient overall. How, how have you found people to be, I mean, I genuinely don't know a lot of the eaters because there's so many interactions. I mean, you've been in dozens, I guess, hundreds probably of, of these factories and utilities. How, how does it, how is it when they connect the dots? I mean, so you're talking to one of these, you know, real gurus, the, the, the industrial gurus that know the machinery, they can feel it, but then you, you sort of confront them or present them with this information coming from the new technology. Have you seen instances where they just are opposed and don't even want to touch it because they know, they know their way or on the flip side, have you seen times where where they embrace it and it really connects the dots and they realize that it's a, it's a way to transfer that knowledge and accomplish the goal more effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've absolutely seen both of those cases. Yep. I've seen both of those cases and, you know, a lot of times we present this data to someone who's been working in the industry for a long time. And I've seen cases where they say, Oh, that makes perfect sense. That aligns exactly with, with what I thought was going on, but I just never had the data to support it. And I've also seen instances where they say, ah, oh, that can't be true. We've been running this way for 30 years and we've never had an issue. And so in both of those cases, I think just coming to the table with, with the data and working with that customer to really just try and stick to the facts and, and 
point them in the direction of why we're coming to these conclusions really helps to uh, just get them on board and work with us. And over time, even when we've had challenges in, in getting someone to embrace the technology or embrace the change, you know, we can win them over just based on experiences that we're able to provide to them. So, you know, once we get a couple wins and we're able to prove that the data is real and it's meaningful and it actually does support what they have been seeing over, over the long term, uh, then we're really able to, to get them on board and embrace that change. Can you give an example? Just, I, you know, it's, uh, I guess we'll, we'll start running up on our time here soon, but you know, the successes are, are interesting to talk about, but I think the failures are, are even more compelling just because it's the real deal. I, again, put you on the spot, but without naming anyone or describing them in a way that they know who you're talking about, can you, can you tell me a story of a time when you just haven't been able to convince someone where you just had someone who was really obstinate and you knew what the information was telling and our team knew, but they just wouldn't come around? Like, what is that like? Sure. Yeah, that definitely, it, it happens. You know, you don't win every time. Uh, and sometimes you just need to, you know, like I said, you stick to the facts. You don't want to get emotional about it. But, you know, if, if we're just not able to, to get someone on board, then, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, you mentioned failures. Actually, sometimes a failure is something that can spur action and actually create a positive change. And so, what I have seen with people who are not really willing to embrace the change, uh, a failure actually occurs, you know, with their piece of equipment, and and then we have data on it, or um, you know, we're able to say, hey, if you don't want this to happen again, let's let's start to work together, and that really opens them up. Sometimes it just takes a negative event to occur in order to uh, spur some action and spur some change. So I've seen it work in that way as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it is just sort of the karma or the yin and yang of life that the failure actually leads to to helping to achieve the objective. That's that's wild. What well, I would um, there, there's a couple of questions I, I would like to wrap these up with, Adam and I. Uh, it actually that that actually leads into the the first one really nicely, but more broadly. So you've been in the nuclear industry. You've been in a family business and in, in you know food manufacturing. You've been driving technology now in a technology company for a couple of years and you're, you're solving problems from what you've seen in your career as an engineer. What do you think is the biggest problem? Like what's the one that just really drives you crazy that if you could just snap your fingers and make it go away, you would. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I would say, you know, just working with, with blind spots, you know, in every single industry, there's just, you don't know what you don't know sometimes. And everyone's just working to do their best. And there's always going to be a blind spot. And I think, you know, operating under those blind spots causes things like safety issues. It causes downtime and it causes inefficiencies. And working to eliminate those blind spots is really, I think, the key to evolving you know, all of our industries in order to eliminate those problems. Yeah, that resonates with me. I, I just, it, it, you see it everywhere. There's people, it, it's hard to start addressing a problem when you don't know that it's there. It's, uh, I think that's a great one to identify. I, I like to think of it, it's like, uh, 
it's like if you had a bunch of issues in a, in your cellar, you know, leaky pipes and broken glass on the floor and the doors falling off the hinges. But if the lights are off, you don't really know about any of those problems. So you, you trip on the brake and it hits you in the face or whatever. But as soon as you turn the lights on and you're aware of it, then it's easy to deal with it. So it is, yeah, blind spots are chronic. Take me to the positive side. So, you know, you go out, think into the future, like 10 years or, or however far the future is. What do you think it can be like? So you're now you're, you're seeing sort of this new capability. You're on the tip of the spear of change. What do you actually think is possible when you look at the challenges, but you look at the opportunity to solve those challenges? Where do you think we can be in 10 years or so? Yeah, just based on my experience so far working you know, in this industry and deploying these technologies, I really, it's just, it's so promising. And, and I really like to just align myself with our company values and goals. And I really do believe that, you know, in the next 10 years or so, we could get to the point where in these uh, manufacturing facilities, industrial facilities, we can eliminate injuries. So zero injuries, we can eliminate unexpected failures uh, and we could eliminate unnecessary waste. And so we're really just creating a much better work environment for the people who work at these facilities. Uh, they're more efficient, they're more profitable. So we're bolstering the economy in these areas and you know, we're just being more efficient and safe overall. So I really can see that as a future possibility to just eliminate all of these negative consequences of operations. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's, that's the future we need. Last question. And this one kind of puts you on the spot even a little bit more. I, I'd like to just, I'm just so interested in sort of how people have, you know, view things differently, have divergent thinking. Can you tell me something that, that you know to be true that other people, most people would actually disagree with you about from what you've seen? Sure, that's a great question. I would say you know, something that I believe to be true, and maybe some people would disagree. I think that being, just as a person in general, in life, uh, being uncomfortable is a good thing. <laughs> you know, as human beings, we always strive to move towards comfort. Right. And and I think really stepping outside of that comfort zone and getting uncomfortable just leads to positive things, leads to positive changes. Uh, you know, I'm a, so I, I went to Penn State. I'm a Penn State football fan. And there's a something that the coach, James Franklin, said in a press conference once he was talking about taking the program from being good, you know, maybe even great to going to be elite. And the process of doing that was, you know, he said, if you're comfortable, you're never going to become elite. And he, in his position as the coach of that program, was very, very uncomfortable every day. And that was a good thing. And that's really kind of how I feel working at KCF. You know, I put myself in some, you know, somewhat uncomfortable positions, but ultimately it's led to positive change and growth for me professionally and personally. So that's, that would be my answer to that question. Just strive to get uncomfortable. Yeah, I love it. Failure leads to success and discomfort leads to comfort. It's kind of a, <laughs> it, it's true, but it's, it's not obvious. So I think it's very insightful. 
Well, I really appreciate it, Adam. I've really, this has been a great conversation. I, I hope that, uh, that, you know, our people find this really interesting because I just, I, I know how much value there is in what you're doing. And I just really appreciate you sharing some of your stories, both from the power gen and, uh, work and your work that you've been doing now. I'll, I'll start to just, uh, wrap it up there. Let me wrap it up by just first saying thanks to Marty again. So Marty, this will be our, our, uh, wrap up and exit for kind of your role in getting this thing off. So just thanks a lot. And, um, sure. Any parting words for us? Well, if I can just say that I, I'm, as I listened to the entire interview, which was spectacular, what crossed my mind is I wish uh, management guru Peter Drucker was here, and I wish W. Edwards Deming, the total quality management guru, was here to hear conversations like this about how you folks are, in fact, transforming American industry. And uh, Jeremy, I'm just so delighted that you're part of the uh, Business Builders Media platform. It's, uh, it's been an hour to honor to work with you, and I'm looking forward to so many great shows you're going to be putting out in the future. Marty, I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate you helping me get this started, too, because it is, I, I think we didn't realize just how, uh, how many great stories there are to share and also how relatively easy it is. In fact, you mentioned some of those gurus of, of manufacturing. I've actually been dialoguing with one of the authors of, uh, that, that really pioneered the lean movement and uh, the author of the book, uh, Machine That Changed the World, Dan Jones. And uh, those kind of people, I hope maybe we'll be able to get them on the show. So I, uh, I appreciate that, uh, that mention. So yeah, thanks, Marty. I really appreciate everything you've done uh, with Business Builders Media and helping to get this Industrial Transformation podcast off the ground. Adam, I especially just appreciate you taking the time and sharing your stories and, and really your personal thoughts. Is there anything you'd like to share in closing with us? No, I just would like to say thank you, Jeremy and Marty, for allowing me the opportunity to be on this show. I've really enjoyed it, and I've really enjoyed just working for you at KCF. And it's been it's been a challenge, but it's been incredibly rewarding. I'm just looking forward to the future of what we can accomplish. So thank you. That's great. Well, it's my treat and my pleasure being able to see you work because you've just done an incredible amount in a relatively short time. So, yeah, thank you for sharing this morning. And thank you for everything that you're doing and, and helping to share these stories. So this is Jeremy Frank, and it's the Industrial Transformation Podcast. Our guest this morning has been Adam Dalo, and we will get you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Industrial Transformation Podcast, a production of Business Builders Media. Learn more about how KCF can help you on your industrial transformation journey at kcftech.com. And check out more shows on businessbuildersmedia.com.